from IBM Cloud and Cognitive Software, you're listening to The Art of Automation with host Jerry Cuomo. Hey, hey, thanks, Ethan, and welcome to The Art of Automation, a podcast that explores the application of AI-powered automation in the enterprise. Folks, today's episode is about automating the creation and testing of code, as in software. In 2011, Mark Andreessen famously said that software is eating the world. Andreessen went on in that Forbes article, and he used as a proof point that the world's largest bookseller, Amazon, is actually a software company. And now, over nine years later, several of the industry's most notable computer scientists are not just claiming, but also showing proof points that if software ate the world, then AI is eating software. And folks, AI is indeed eating software. And in this episode, we will hear from one of those notable computer scientists where he will almost certainly share that the transition has already largely happened. And I can hear his voice saying, Instead of programmers writing hundreds of lines of code with if-then-else statements, those judgments can be made with small predictive models or something like that. Well, now it's your turn to hear his voice. And may I introduce to you Dr. Rashir Pori, IBM Fellow and Chief Scientist at IBM Research. And folks, that's a big deal to be Chief Scientist of such a storied institution. Rashir has been one of the architects behind Watson going back to its success at Jeopardy. This includes leading architecture and development of our deep learning and machine learning frameworks. Rashir has also led IBM's efforts in software hardware acceleration for AI and analytic workloads. So he's also a hardware guy. He was appointed a fellow of the IEEE in 2006. And recently, IEEE Spectrum covered Rashir in a piece called IBM Watson's Next Challenge, modernizing legacy code, which certainly got my attention. And I said, I got to have Rushir on this podcast. So with that, I'd like to welcome IBM fellow, Dr. Rushir Pore to the art of automation. Welcome, Rushir. Thank you, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So let's jump right in. Rushir, can you tell us why it's important to teach AI to speak code? So it's critically important to teach machines know their own language because of exactly the statement you said very much in the beginning. Software is eating the world. And if software is eating the world, we need to make sure we are able to automate the process of creating software because there ain't enough software engineers in the world to go around to automate everything around us. And I say this often enough, an engineer's job description is to put himself or herself out of a job. Oh, yeah. Automation. Yes. <laughs> and there goes software is our next you know, next step in that journey. So what does it mean to teach it to speak code? So to teach it to speak code really means, so let's, let's step back a little bit and say, what does it mean to teach machine you know, language? By language, I really mean human language in this case. What does it mean for machine to reason on human language as well? So let's take a quick example. When I say to a machine, turn off the lights, it actually, you know, understand to turn off the lights. When I say to Siri, Siri, I'm looking for, you know, what's the weather today? And it actually, voila, it gives you the weather. In many ways, it is starting to understand the nuances of language in how many different ways I can say it. 
very similar to that. Coding, if I really look at it, it's a machine language. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, machine languages are very similar to human languages because number one, they are polyglot of languages. There is, you know, German, English, Spanish, right, Italian, right. and the polyglot of machine languages. From yeah. going back to old days of Fortran and, and COBOL to PL1 to Java to Python to Ruby, and you name it. There is actually a syntax or a grammar to machine languages. Similarly, obviously, there is a syntax and grammar to human languages. And then finally, there is, you know, there is this interrelationship between dictionary of both languages as well from a code point of view and from a machine point of view. And therein lies, you know, really the similarity between these two domains And just like we are teaching machines the art of human language understanding, if we want machines to automate the task of information technology, which one would argue, what is the language of information technology? If I could say one thing, the language of information technology is code. And precisely why we need to automate the task of understanding machine language by machines themselves. In fact, I would really say, Jerry, that has been the goal from the very beginning, the day's artificial intelligence word was coined in Dartmouth, which is really about having machines program themselves. That has been a goal for a long time, still remains a goal, but we are making good progress in that journey, which I hope we'll talk about today. Yeah, so Rishi, let's peel that a little bit further. So if we apply AI for code, what sorts of tasks exactly can we automate? So the kind of tasks we can really automate is, for example, you know, developers have a lot of pain points these days, actually. Let's take a quick example. I'm trying to search for a code which does, let's say, a sorting of numbers, actually. And I don't want to go and type things in Google and then go crawl through Quora, crawl through uh, Stack Overflow and hundreds of other websites. Think of it as I want to make a natural language interface for code search. This is not Google, by the way, because Google will give you a lot of pages on which it might exist. Most of it don't really work. Some of it is wrong code. It's really about that natural language interface to code search. Another Mm -hmm. one, quick one, code translation. There have been languages that have been kind of almost forgotten. And interestingly, a lot of world software that has existed for very long and is running our mission-critical systems are running in those languages, like, you know, COBOL, PL1, uh, yes, and yes. Fortran, and others, is the ability to understand that language and really to be able to move it to the new era we are in. And potentially in the future, even those languages will be kind of outdated. We need to move it. The third one really will be about, you know, modernizing, as I said, you know, legacy code. The fourth one will be really about finding code similarity. I have certain code that is working now. I'm looking for a new way of doing it, Mm -hmm. maybe a better performance, uh, maybe lower memory footprint. Can you find similar code for me as opposed to a natural language to a code interface? I'm looking for find similar ways of doing the same thing I'm doing right now, but with these constraints. So those are the kind of tasks you can do that you wouldn't be able to do if you didn't have AI for code. Yeah, Rashir, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I want you to go back to the modernizing legacy code point that you made. So how does this actually help our users? And let's talk about, I know this involves cloud and some of the movements around hybrid cloud. So can you talk a bit about your point on legacy modernization? How does AI for code actually help progress that? Certainly, there are many steps 
in modernizing legacy code. And the reason it is such a hard problem and every enterprise we know is struggling with it, with thousands of applications they have is because you need to really understand code that has long been forgotten. Architects have retired. Programmers who wrote it have gone as well. And it involves phases like discovery, assessment, planning, Mm -hmm. design, transformation, and really modernization at scale. Many of these applications have millions of lines of code, again, in languages that have been long forgotten. So critical part of this is to automate each and every one of those steps from automating decisions based on past decisions, automating, you know, really recommending microservices for the new architecture, automating cloud deployment, and finally automating the deployment at scale itself as well. And this is exactly where AI steps in. So what is the role of AI in all of this? Obviously, the role of AI in all of this is to be able to understand code. But more than that, why is it so hard for us to solve this problem? The reason it is so hard for us to solve this problem is because typically machine translation, in this particular case, code translation from an old archaic monolith of an application to a modern microservices cloud native application really involves kind of a remapping of an architecture of Mm -hmm, software mm -hmm. from a single piece of code, although millions of lines of code sometimes, to a a much more refactored architecture. And that involves for us to be able to understand that code in terms of its architecture, its business logic, where the transactions are, where the data dependencies are. And more importantly, the way that task has been done in the past really relates to kind of rule-based systems or in the past known as expert systems as well. Rules are very fragile in many ways. It talks about if you see situation X, you actually do Y. See situation M, you do N actually. However, because code is quite complex and the complexity of the code comes from the context you are in, just like human languages, code has actually context Mm -hmm. in which it operates. In fact, I would really dare to say Code is much more complex in the way the context manifests itself because typically in human language or human documents, the context will be within that page, typically, maybe within that chapter and worst case within that book. In the case of code, there are many times thousands of files and the context may lie in a file which is, you know, the thousands one, if I may say it. And therein lie the difficulty of capturing all of this in a rule-based system, which is precisely where AI steps in because AI behaves very similar to how a human being will. It is much more forgiving to changes in the input. It can understand the context Mm -hmm. much better, just like it can in human understanding of human languages and can automate the process of discovery, assessment, planning, design, and advising human beings on what needs to be done with that application, finally giving you recommendations on what may need to be done for refactoring that application for a cloud-native deployment. Not just that, it can actually give you explanation also on why it did it tell you certain recommendation, and finally to be able to automate the process of even code generation. So it generates the code automatically for you for deployment, thereby relieving you from this burdensome, painful process of this iteration and understanding Mm -hmm. the code and to be able to get it to a point where you can deploy it in a modern architecture. 
Hey, Rashir, can you uh, drill a little bit more down into a concrete example? Certainly, Derry. So let's take an example of a large uh, automotive client. Mm-hmm. Mission critical applications, $200 million asset. This client is very keen on getting this converted. 3,500 plus Java files, more than 1 millionth lines of code, multiple generations of Java technology from Jaxby to SOAP to Struts, mm-hmm. built over you know decade and a half. Over a year of ongoing manual migration effort, not getting anywhere. Now, we applied the AI for code technologies for modernizing legacy code. And we got recommendations and validation within four weeks versus, as I mentioned, a year. Mm. And that four weeks wasn't actually runtime of the tool or the capability itself. It was mostly around setting up the data, making sure the data is okay, kind of curating data a little bit as well. And as the output of the capability, we got 25 or so partitions, also known as microservices, consisting of around 450 plus classes, leveraging both runtime and data dependency analysis. And as a side effect, a nice side effect, it also exposed much of the potential dead code that was never exercised as part Mm -hmm. of the the application itself, thereby streamlining the application and making it much more efficient. Wow, very impressive. One monolithic application turning into 25 microservices, ejecting a bunch of dead code. I can imagine now the agility that that company has moving forward with that new set of microservices, what they can do around continuous delivery. Instead of delivering that big monolith, now they can pick which of the 25 to focus on. Wow, that's that's a great story. Thanks. And, and not just that, Jerry, as I think the application of this really goes across the entire software development and deployment lifecycle from right. planning to requirements to design planning, code building, testing, continuous modernization and application deployment. And it's really going to change the way we design software and we modernize software. Great, Rashir. Makes a lot of sense. Can you just maybe give us a hint on where to go if we're interested in this topic? Is there any open source projects or any place that you would recommend a person to go to learn more? I would really say there are there is ML for code. Just search for ML for code. Google it. You will find a website which is on GitHub, which has a lot of references on how machine learning and code intersects each other and also on modernizing legacy code as well. There is actually a section in there on modernizing legacy code in terms of transforming code for you know, new application domains. All right. Well, that's for sure both impressive and inspiring. And ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to The Art of Automation with Dr. Rashir Pori, IBM fellow and chief scientist and AI spiritual leader at IBM. Okay. We started this episode talking about AI eating software. Well, we've learned that teaching AI how to understand code could streamline and automate many of the IT processes that currently require time-consuming manual oversight and troubleshooting. You can imagine applying this to security systems management and, as Rishir said, the migration of code to multiple cloud environments. So you could also infer from what Rishir said that this technology will help catch errors early in the development cycle, uh, reduce cost and downtime, and, and more importantly, free up developers to do higher value work like investing in new money-making applications that will allow your business to grow. Well, that's it. And once again, Rishir, thank you. And I also want to thank all of you for listening. This is Jerry Cuomo. IBM Fellow and Chief Technology Officer of Automation at IBM. Looking forward to seeing you again. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, thanks for seeing you.